Hi, my name is Amber Ayers, and our Old Testament reading today is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 28, verses 12 through 17. And Jacob dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Matthew Ayers. The New Testament reading is found in Galatians five sixteen through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The Word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Bobby. Please stand for the Gospel reading found in John 15, verses 1 through 9. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you.
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The Gospel of the Lord. Please stay standing as we pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, for this opportunity to come and to meet together, to gather together, to worship you, and to continually be formed as your people, as your beloved and unity with you through the Spirit reveals the Son, who is the way to the Father. And all of these things, we give you the thanks, and we ask that today you would bring us revelation of you, of your heart, of your desire, of your love for us. Lord Jesus, we long to know you more today. Lead us on. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, beloved. My name is Evan Riedall, and I am one of the associate pastors here with New Life Downtown, and I am the one who gets to come and preach today. Uh, so that's super, super fun, and I hope it's, it's good for you, too. You can tell me about that later, though. Um, Glenn, this guy named Glenn Packiam, he is actually up at Main Campus New Life, or New Life North today. Uh, we as New Life Downtown are part of New Life as a whole, and so he has the opportunity to go and preach uh, during the services up there this morning, um, which enables me to come and preach here this morning. Um, as far as preaching goes, I was talking about this with my wife last night. Um, preaching, to me, kicks in all of those high school emotions of class presentations and book reports and science fairs, and ugh, and I start getting clammy and cotton mouth, and I can't do it. And I was talking about my wife, and she goes, but so, so what do you do about that? And I go, well, I don't, I might not like preaching so much, but I love talking about Jesus. So she said, all right, then go talk about Jesus tomorrow. So here I am, and for the next 20 or so minutes, we get to talk about Jesus, and that excites me. Um, something else she says, her name is Karen. She's so wonderful. After every time I'm up here and I'm doing announcements or I'm saying a prayer or the few times I get to preach, I sit down, and in her very loving way, she will often grab and squish my face and she'll say, speak slowly. <laughs> okay. Whew. So, we're working on that today as we continually fine-tune this public speaking engagement. So, um, we are, as a series, in Lent. Um, Lent, we are on the third Sunday of Lent as we approach Easter. And this is a series that we are traveling and journeying to the cross. Uh, for the series, we have landed ourselves in the book of John. So, if you haven't turned there yet, and if you actually have a Bible to turn there, John 15 is where we'll pretty much be planting today. Wow, that was a lot of movement right there. That's, all right, John 15, cool. So, John 15 is where we'll be planted. Um, and the series that we're doing, it's a preparation as we journey towards Lent, and what we're looking at is Jesus' last sayings. Basically, these are the six last words of Jesus, or more so what we're looking at is the context specifically of the upper room, which starts uh, right around John 13 and then goes until 17, 18, and that's when he leaves and goes out the door to head to the Mount of Olives, to be betrayed by Judas, to go to the cross, death and resurrection, that's the rest of the book. John, if you guys have heard, and I just found out from studies this week, is actually uh, highly considered to be, they say, book one and book two. So there's, it's the same author. But in the first 12 chapters, if you don't count epilogues and prologues, the first 12 chapters of John, there is a thematic emphasis of, uh, hold on, 
I just blanked it out of my mind and I'm not on page one of my notes. There's this thematic emphasis of signs. He goes through seven signs through the first part of John and Jesus is constantly talking about and doing and, and relating forth the signs of the kingdom of God coming. And in that context, what he's also saying is, my time has not yet come. Whether it's his mom, who he then so graciously says, woman, why are you bothering me? My time has not yet come. But he goes ahead and does the miracle anyways. Or so on and so forth. But Jesus, knowing that his time had not yet come, slipped away from the crowd. Knowing this, knowing that, his time. So it focuses on signs and the times. And at chapter 13, we get this hinge point in the book where instead of signs, the emphasis that John makes is on glory. And it's now time for the, the, the Father to be glorified. It's now time for the, the Father to glorify the Son. In this context, we're looking at the fruit. The fruit is to the Father's glory. So there's this huge emphasis at chapter 13 that he turns to glory. Throughout the whole book, though, so if we're looking at it as book of signs, book of glory, one book in the whole context, what we also find John looking at through the entirety of the, the, the gospel is John seeing Jesus in a thematic way that I'm going to summarize in these two words, relationship and unity. And through the entire book, whether it's book of signs, book of glory, John is presenting Jesus as a highly relational God, as well as one who is in depth relationship to the degree of unity. And he does that through, if you ever look through some of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the synoptics, they will be talking about Jesus in such a way, but it's kind of, this is what he did, and then this is what he did, and then a lot of it is to prove his kingship, his power, his authority, the kingdom of God, something like that, and it's a, it's a lot bigger recording of stories, and the movement's a lot quicker. In the book of John, he spends lengthy stretches of the text in conversation and in relationship with people, where he's just writing down, saying, hey, this is us relating, this is Jesus, and he took the time to slow down long enough to find relation, where there's, what he's emphasizing is a huge relationship of divinity and humanity, and he says, this is a highly relational God whom we're dealing with here. And we see it very intentionally here, if we're saying, book of signs, chapter 12 to 13, time has not yet come, time has come, that this upper room discourse is seven, eight chapters long, of the recordings of just Jesus with his closest disciples, and we're put into this tension of he knows his time has come. These are the last words that he's going to say before they go to the Mount of Olives, and he becomes betrayed. What is he going to say? What is he going to emphasize? And we're given seven chapters of relational dialogue between Jesus and his disciples of this is really what I want to get at you guys. I'm about to go. I'm at this point in the book, and I'm about to go but we're given these relational dialogues that really emphasize the relationship of God. But along with the relational part of God, John, the Gospel of John, highly, highly emphasizes the unity of God. Specifically, the calling of us, the church, to be unified and unified in Christ. And specifically, the way that Jesus, the Son, is working and functioning in unity with the Father. And so if we're looking at this idea of Trinity, he goes around and he says stuff in John very intentionally like, I do not do anything on my own accord. I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. The entire way through, he is playing on this relationship of Jesus and the father, the divine relational unity, and then Jesus with, with us, his people, his creation, and in this, age, this context of today, his church, and saying, I am so desirous of relationship and unity within that relationship. We even get to, we're in 15 right now, and two more chapters, so in two more weeks, we're going to be in John 17, where he prays, I pray for them, Father, 
that they would be one even as you and I are one. And there is such a depth of unity and relationship that John plays with through the entire arc that are themes in his book through and through. And so within that context, we, we just slip on in here to saying this is the third week of the series. We've talked about, as I have loved, you go and love. Do not let your hearts be troubled, for my spirit is with you. And he sets up the Holy Spirit, and we talked about that last week. We get into John 15, and the word that we're going to be focusing on and hinging the sermon on today is abide. Come and abide in me. And if we're looking at the entire context of John and saying this is a God who is relational and this is a God who emphasizes unity within that relationship, this abide makes so much sense. And he's, he's doing it to the degree too where he sandwiches in to say, I'm gonna send the spirit and he's gonna be the advocate, the other, the helper. And that's the chapter before. And at the end of 15 he says, and the helper will come whom I will send. And so there's this huge idea of, yes, there's, there is unity with the Father and the Son, and guess what? The Son, even though going on his way out to the cross, I will be sending the Spirit, and the unity and the relationship will carry on through my Holy Spirit, whom will come, who will fill you, the believer, and us, the church. And so we're being given this context within John, and Jesus comes and he says at this point, I am the true vine. Abide in me, and I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. So that's what we're digging into today, just to let you guys know. I want to set it up in the beginning with this question right here, too. This, how do I say it? This notion, this word that he's given us, abide. Is this a static command or is it a dynamic invitation? Is it a static command like probably what the Pharisees would be used to? This is, this is God, here's what you do. Figure it out and do it? Or is it a dynamic invitation into relationship? And I want to go through the definition as well as the dangers of both of these things. Understanding God saying, abide in me. Is this static? Is this dynamic? First, the definition of static. I'm a dictionary nerd if you guys are up for it. Fixed or stationary, showing little or no change. Lacking movement, development, or vitality. And I think at this context, and Jesus spins gospels, he spins the gospel of John as well, calling out the pharisaical tendencies of the religious elite of his age because what they, I would assert, assumed about the commandments of God is that they were far more static commands than they were dynamic invitations. And in this way, well, God told us, we're his people. We're supposed to do these things, and then if I do them, if I figure out well enough how to do them, then I'm pretty much walking in God, right? That, isn't that what we're supposed to do, is my righteousness is based on how well I can do these things? And we could even take this idea of the Old Testament, the commands, the law, and we can bring it in to this New Testament and say, well, Jesus is just giving us more to-dos. Honey, do this, to do it. Go ahead and get to done or, in the midst of that, can we refigure our understanding of when we receive a command of God, not as much as this is the static, that the command doesn't change, and so just figure out and get her done. Or in the context of John, as we've been saying, it's highly relational. Is he saying, I am not telling you what to do, though I am. I'm telling you to abide. But more and greater, and the heart behind it, is that I am giving you a dynamic invitation. 
Because what happens if it's just the law and if it's just to do that God is inviting us into when he says, abide in me and I in you, and you're gonna get the spirit and all this stuff, is that we can get to the point where we kind of figure it out, right? And pride can start creeping in. And I wanted to find pride in this way, dependency upon ourselves. That if it is just a static, do this, read a half an hour a day, Go down and serve food at the shelter. Make sure you're nice to your neighbor. Check, check, check. Look at me. I did it. I have arrived. I am a Christian. Come on. And it can be this puffed up self-dependency because it's void of the relational unity and intimacy that God has actually invited us into. Definition and danger. So, If that's what we're looking at as far as saying, well, preacher man just gave us a good definition and a danger. So maybe it's not so much that, you know, it's a commandment that's static. Let's think of it in the way of a dynamic invitation. Definition of dynamic. Characterized by energy or effective action relating to force, action, or power. Force, action, or power. Is that not our God? And that what he's inviting us into is to say, yes, I want you to do something, but for the sake of yourself and coming into relationship with me. Because guess what? Another theme of the Gospel of John is life, eternal life, life in abundance. I'm not telling you to do this just to lord it over you. I'm telling you to enter into relationship by faith. It's always been faith. It's always been faith. And in the function of relationship and unity with me through faith, what you are going to find is that your faith is not boring because it's just the to-dos. You're not prideful because you figured out how to do it yourself. But it's actually characterized by energy and effective action relating to force, action, and power. And that the kingdom of God is like this, that the presence of God, that the spirit of God would somehow, we would be in such relational unity with the Lord that we would be affected by him, okay? If there's a definition of it, I want to say there's a danger too. And the danger that we perceive, not that it's bad, but is that it makes us lose control. Because our God is a God whom we cannot control. It's like when Aslan, you know, Lucy's asking, well, is he safe? No, but he's good. You can't control him. But what he's inviting you into isn't a list of to-dos that you can master, but a relationship that is dynamic and that meets you where you are, that relates to you in the season of life that you're in, that grows and matures with us just as if we were married to a spouse, we would grow and mature in the different seasons of life. If we had a best friend, we grow and mature depending on what's going on, what has happened yesterday, today, tomorrow. We interact with each other in a different way because it's a new day. It's a new situation. And God is that God who's saying, I am so dynamic because today is a new day and I am a person and I want to re-interact, re-engage. I want to be a person who affects your life. And this makes us, if the opposite of pride, if pride and humility are opposites, our pride being able to figure out what to do being our self-dependency, having a dynamic invitation to a relationship and unity with God, strips us of pride, loses our control, and sets us in a place of humility that says, Lord, it depends on you. 
I depend on you. And I can walk in humility because I'm not checking the box of Christianity, but I'm engaging in the relationship that is dynamic, and it depends on you and me being in this together. And I can't control it, and that's okay. I submit that you are good. So in the context of this highly relational, highly unified call, an invitation to dynamic relationship with the Lord, we are told this, come and remain in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. Sweet. What does that mean? Bearing much fruit. One, I want to point out in this verse that I think so many times, if it is that prideful, I figured it out and I did it, what we can say is, you guess what I did? I did the fruit. I bore the fruit. Look at me. I, I was nice. I was loving. I was kind. I was forgiving. Aren't I forgiving? I did it myself. And what God is saying is, guess what? Your fruit, it's not, it's not you. The fruit is me. It's me being born in you. And it's not something that you can muscle up yourself. The fruit is a relational guarantee. When you are in me and I am in you, I guarantee you will bear fruit. Because why? I am a God who will affect you. I am a dynamic God with force and action and power. And you can't be near me and not be changed. You can't be close to me and not be affected. You can't spend time with me regularly and not have the person of who I am affect the person of who you are. Therefore, you spend enough time with me, you invest enough thought, you, you think of me in your car when you're driving and know my nearness when you're parenting and figuring it out in your work relationships and in your marriage, and you open up to the reality of God, not confined, as Joey was saying in first service, to these four walls, but explosively filling our lives and going forth from us and around us. The whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. We open up to that reality and we go, oh, Lord, this fruit I understand why you will bear much fruit and this will be to my Father's glory. Why? Because the fruit is a testament of who God is in the first place. It's not us and, hey, look, they're really nice and why are you so nice? Oh, it's because you're a Christian? That's really great. But the Christian would even say in that, you know what, the fruit I figured out, it doesn't depend on me. What I'm doing is remaining, abiding in relationship with God and these things are happening because God is affecting me. And the one whom I'm remaining in is directly related to the fruit that I'm bearing. Our New Testament reading was Galatians. Galatians chapter five. I wrote it down wrong. I don't know if it got fixed, but not four, five. Galatians chapter five. And the fruit of the spirit is love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Are they saying that these are kind of some of the things that the spirit has? where I would assert these are more directly the character and the person of who God is. God is love. God is joy. God is peace. God is patient. And so if I, as the believer, am bearing any degree of patience, is it not first because I have come into a unified relationship with the Lord in which he is affecting me so much that I'm understanding, God, you are a faithful God to me. You are a patient God with me. And therefore, because who I'm abiding in is getting in me, I am able to bear patience with my spouse. Patience with the kids that I'm the teacher of. Any of these fruit, are they up there? They'll be up there, boom. 
And not only, I think, do these fruit tell the testimony of who God is and therefore glorify God, but I think a lot of times they also test ourselves and they become like the litmus test to how am I doing at remaining? Because part of remaining is I'll be, uh, you remain in me, I'll remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. And guess what? My father, he's the vine dresser. He's going to come and prune you. If it's me, the one on this that's the test the biggest is that one of self-control. Not that I go crazy, but I notice that a lot of times maybe the words that I'm saying, they start slipping. And the thing that I, start, I thought was funny, that joke, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this, like, hey, I got a joke right now. <laughs> wow, I'm a jerk. Like, <laughs> what's going on? And it doesn't just happen like that once that week with the close friends. It's like the new, the new people that you're meeting and it happens five times that week. And then I start going, Lord, help me with self-control. Help me be thinking about these things and the words that I'm saying. The mouth is like, the bit, it controls where we're going. Help me. And then to the degree where you can even start thinking, am I spending that time? Am I being intentional and engaging in proximity and the relationship with Jesus and the spirit inside of me and the spirit within us as the church? And I think a lot of times I go, man, you know when I start saying dumb stuff? It's when I haven't been slowing down long enough to be filled up with the God of self-control that then I can have self-control with my words. I was talking to a friend a couple of weeks ago and he was saying it, same idea. We were talking about just life and he was telling me that his friend or his wife, so this friend has a wife, good. The wife called him out. Babe, you've been getting really mean lately. I don't know if that's ever happened to you guys, but I understand. It's a little bit mean lately. And I was thinking about this sermon, so I started, dude, okay, I have to ask. How has prayer time and the, the, whatever way it is that you find that you connect relationally with the Lord, because we're extroverts and introverts, we're ESFJs and INTPs, and we're all over the map, you know, but the Lord is our God and he is in us. How, however it is that you relate, me, it's prayer, it's time and prayer, playing my guitar, worshiping. But I asked, dude, your wife called you out, man. You're being mean. How, how's the prayer time been? And he goes, ah, oh, dude, not good. Not good lately. And I go, man, you know what that is? To me, that's the litmus test of God is saying, relationally abide in me. And guess what? You're going to start withering up. Kindness is going to start fading from you if you're not remaining in the very person who exudes kindness in its essence. Dude, I just got to say, go, go pray. Not because go pray that your wife would forgive you, but go pray because we are dependent on our life source, on the fruit that we will bear because we are dependent upon the relationship and the one in whom we are abiding in and being called to abide in. You want to be nicer to your wife? I'm not saying this is the one to one, but I'm pretty close that it is. If we understand the kindness of the Lord in our lives and are filled up with that, does that not lend us to bear fruit of kindness towards our spouse? towards our friends, towards our coworkers. What is it for you on this list? Where'd it go? What is the antonym of that word that you see creeping up in your life? Man, I lose patience. Man, I'm just not joyful lately. There's not a lot of peace. And then go, are we dynamically engaging in unity with the relationship with the one who is peace? Pulling from him that presence, that peace within our lives that we can then bear it forth and lend it to the next person. 
And that this very test, abide in me, you'll be filled with me, you're gonna bear fruit, it's gonna be to my Father's glory. And guess what? If you're abiding, you're gonna be so dependent, not prideful, but humble to say, it's okay that you come and you prune stuff because I recognize that you are good and that this is for my good. So Lord, even that, come and prune it. I wanna finish with this story. My wife and I are three months away from having our first child. Come on. You know what that elicits? It elicits a vice. Both if you ask for it or if you don't ask for it. You're having a kid? Let me tell you about that. Oh, well, thank you. Okay. Uh, Glenn Packiam so far has only given me one piece of unsolicited advice. And he goes, bro, Two words, blackout shades. <laughs> All right, blackout shades. And he goes, man, you're having a summer baby. That means the sun, unlike today, which I was so excited because 6.30, I was waking up easy, and then all of a sudden, we throw in daylight savings time, and now it's hard to wake up again. Man, sunshine, waking up that kid, it's summertime, 5.30 a.m., that sun's up, that kid's going to start waking up, and you, you won't be asleep anymore. Blackout shades fixes the whole thing. All right, all right. Drawing the parallel, is this not similar, if not the same, with the conditions of our hearts towards the presence of God? That we so often have so many things going on in our lives that are distractions, entertainment, things that are good even, but that are not direct relationship with God. It's kind of like I can be married and not paying attention to my spouse, but it doesn't mean I'm not married. We can be God's people, but not pay attention to God. It doesn't mean we're any less of God's people. But does it mean that we're abiding so that the person in whom we're abiding is affecting us and then it's overflowing? If that blackout shade keeps us from being awakened unto the day. It's the natural reaction. If we remove blackout shades from our lives and find ourselves sitting somehow in relationship with the presence of the living God, whether that be through prayer, whether that be through maybe something like we're doing right now, the community Bible experience. If you guys are tackling that, kudos. I'm like three days behind because half an hour of reading a day is a lot of work. But will that half an hour of reading and getting in the scriptures, will that, just proximity, like the child in the daytime to the sun wakes up because the sun is there, like the flower in the field blooms and blossoms because the sun is on it. Our God being a God who is light, John 1 talks about that, he was the light of man. If we set ourselves in relational unity and proximity with this living God, can we help but be affected so that our souls start waking up? That God, you are here. God, you are near. You've always been here. You're lending the strength right now to help me in my workplace, to help me in my families, to help me in my relationships. You're lending me your self-control and your patience. That has always been the case towards me, but now, because I am submitting myself to just your, your intimate nearness, I am becoming awakened into your presence already here. 
And that was our reading in Genesis 28. Jacob wakes up from the dream and his declaration, which I love, is surely God, you are in this place and I was not aware of it. Is God in this place? Is he in our families, our relationships, our lives, and our very person filling us up and we're not aware of it? And is time, investing time, taking brain power to say, maybe I'll turn off the radio in the car and I'll just think about God. Getting outside and hiking and snowshoeing that it's wintertime and just saying, the glory of creation declares the Lord and I enter into that song of worship. Reading our scriptures, praying, stirring up hearts that are thankful. Isn't that what Paul says? Don't be anxious, but in prayer and petition, give thanks in the peace of Christ. Isn't the peace a fruit? Why? Because you're just engaging in prayer and it starts affecting us to go, Lord, what I'm realizing is that you are sovereign and that is helping me find peace in this situation because I'm remaining and I am abiding in relationship and unity with you. Church, we get to come to the table now. This table that we get to remain and abide in week after week and say, Lord, what I bring is my shortcomings because what I'm understanding is it's not what I've done or haven't done. I confess of that, but it's what you, who you are and what you've done. And when I come and when I take this bread and I take this cup, you're saying this is remaining in me. It's remaining in what I've already done for you. The gospel is this work that Christ has done and the spirit is present in this place with the ongoing work of bearing forth fruit in our lives that lay a testimony to who God is and that are to his glory. So as we come today, let us stir up our spirits to say, Lord, would you shine on us? Would you shine in our souls, in our lives? Would you expose the things that are remaining in darkness? Would you do all that stuff, but would you take away the blackout shades so that our hearts can be awakened to your presence already near? And that living as children of the light, we, re we might remain in the light and abide in you. Receiving from you love and joy, peace and patience, so forth. And therefore being able to give it forth to those around us who need you as well. So as we come to the table today, would you just close your eyes, bow your heads with me, and just start engaging with the Holy Spirit. Engaging and asking him, Lord, Here's my confession. Would you prune these things? Here's what I know I need from you. It is, it is your love, Lord. It is your patience. It is your kindness. Or maybe it just starts with, Lord, would you awaken me to your presence already here and at work? And whatever it is, I just pray right now over this place, this declaration that God is love, that God is joy, that God is peace, that God is patient, that God is kind, that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is gentle, and God is self-control. And if we find ourselves lacking, what we do is we lean into God in humility and dynamic relationship, relying on this source of life itself, pulling from him these things because it's who he is that we might be filled up. So Lord, we come and we turn to your table now. Would you meet us here again? Would you fill us up again with your very presence 
that in this place and in these ways, we would be awakened to who you are, filled up with who you are, and bear fruit that brings glory to your name and bears the testimony that we are your disciples. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.